Good morning. Welcome. That is time's up, as I see on the clock behind me. I'm new here, too. Glad you guys are with us. As you make your way in this morning, my name is Cole, as Jared said before. I'm glad to be with you guys. Uh, as you make your way in, if you want, have your Bibles with you. We'll be in John chapter 2 this morning. But here's what I know. So I've been out here, as Jared said, my wife and I are looking at planning a church. We've had some time to just hang out with uh, Jared and his wife, and then I got some time to hang out with Jared over coffee yesterday. You guys are a lucky church because Jared is a great pastor. I've had, yeah, he is. I have had uh, just a ton of fun learning from him, just even in my brief time with him, and I'm excited to stay in relationship and continue to call him up and be like, dude, what did you do? So he's a wealth of knowledge, and a great pastor, and, and this morning, I'm excited that he let me come share with you, and I am honored to be with you guys uh, this morning. You guys are going through the book of John. Uh, as a church, you're in a series working your way through the gospel of John, which is, I will say, my favorite gospel. I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite gospel as a pastor, but as I've just been studying God, uh, John's gospel, it is, it's awesome. So I'm excited for you guys as a church. Uh, and this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, uh, right after where you guys kind of left off in chapter 1. So you did chapter 1 last week, we're going to be in chapter 2, and this is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Gospels. And it's not just because it's, we're going to talk about the wedding at Cana and Jesus turning water into wine. And I don't love this story just because it's a fantastic story that shows that Jesus appreciates a good party, but it is also... This wonderful invitation to look at and, and to consider this question of who Jesus is and what does it mean to follow him and who he is and what is he going to be about. So it is this wonderful invitation to the story. And so I'm excited to share that with you guys. And as we look at the story, we're going to see that John, like so much of the Gospel of John, this story invites us to believe in Jesus and to continue to believe in Jesus. It is an invitation to consider just who God is and what he's doing here on earth in the person of Jesus and what he wants to even do in our lives. And as we look at this narrative, we're going to be invited to consider what does it mean not only to believe, but to live out this belief in this guy named Jesus. And then finally, probably most important, we will maybe be challenged or consider anew with the question of who is Jesus? Really, who is Jesus? Is as Maybe we know him, maybe we are just kind of getting to know him, but we'll see in this story, we're challenged with that question of who is this guy, Jesus. So we are going to consider what does it mean to believe? We're going to take a look at what does it look like for us to live out that belief, and then we're going to be challenged with the question of who is this Jesus. So we're going to start John chapter 2. We'll read through. I'm just going to read it straight through you so you can just... Hang with me. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. I'll read the story through, and then we'll work our way back through it, kind of pull out maybe some thoughts that God might have for us this morning. Cool? All right, so here we go. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The next day, also in some of your translations might say, on the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars, stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing, 
Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples, and his, and his disciples believed in him. Isn't that a fun story? All right, as we look at it, it opens up with the scene at a wedding on the third day or three days later, uh, at the beginning of the week. Jesus and his family and everybody's at this wedding. We see they're there. And it, and it opens up uh, at a wedding, which is a significant sign right away we see. Because all throughout the scriptures, we see that weddings and banquets and ceremonies are often, weddings especially, are often a picture of God's relationship with his people. Wedding and the uh, language and the relationships associated is often how God describes or wants his relationship to be with his people or describes his relationship with his people. And we also see that the banquets over and over and again, celebrations and weddings are a picture of God's kingdom now coming and is to come. These, these banquets, these wedding feasts are often used to describe what God's kingdom is like. That is, where God's will is done and celebrated. It is what Jesus is, about, is bringing about as he has come to earth as God in person. It's this, this kingdom that he keeps talking about in banquets. And these celebrations are often used as a picture of what it might be. So as we look at this, helpful to note, as we consider a wedding, weddings in this time, much bigger deal than it is uh, maybe today. I mean, weddings are fun, and they're, and they're great, and they are still a picture of what God wants in relationship with us. The weddings in the first century ancient Near East are, were a big deal, big party, multiple days. And really, these festivities, these weddings, would take a whole community to pull off. So it wasn't just a picture of two people becoming, you know, kind of one. It was a picture of two families becoming one as they joined together and often to pull off these celebrations. It wasn't just about these two families gathering their resources to pull off this wedding and celebrate. It was like their families and their families' families and their family. I mean, this whole community would pull all the resources that they could gather. I mean, the families would call in all of the favors that they might have. It was a big deal. And and the celebration would be a big deal. It would be a high point of honor. You know, how successful this party was would matter hugely to the family. And if there was failure, that would matter hugely as well. So there's huge celebration that they would gather all of these resources together and have this multiple day party. And we think about it, we hear like they would get the fatted calf, whatever that means, right? And they would get, you know, all this wine together and all of these like unique foods. And we hear that, and today, and, and it does, it's not so striking to us, because wine and meats are fairly accessible to us. But as we look at it, and compared to their daily rhythm and food, you know, most of what they would eat would be kind of simple grains, water, which is great, and then some olive oil. So they're, on a daily basis, they would kind of, it, lots of hard work, agrarian society, and then sort of basic foods that wine might not have been, you know, such a regular part of their lives, but at a wedding it was a big deal. A wedding was when they came together and pulled 
all the resources because there was something to celebrate. They were bringing families together. They were pulling everything together. It's this wonderful celebration. It's going to be lots of fun. And for something like wine to run out would be a big deal. And there would be much honor associated with it, which we don't really understand in a non-honor-shame society. Maybe if that's in your background, you get this a little bit. Or there would be much shame associated. It would, be a big, it would stay with you as a family for years if something didn't go right. And so the story opens up. We have this picture of Jesus and his family and his disciples here at the wedding. And Mary seems to be in the mix. Like, she seems to be in the know, which alerts us to something. So the fact that Mary kind of seems and feels like responsible when she comes to Jesus and said, hey, they're out of wine, means that there was probably, we don't know because it's not explicit in there, some relationship with Jesus, his family, Mary, and their family to the bride and groom's family. There was some necessary relationship. So when the wine is running out, they would feel some responsibility, clearly as Mary feels some responsibility to the wine running out. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, the wine's running out. This is kind of a problem. Jesus, you should feel some concern for this. Culturally, if Mary is concerned, her son would, should be concerned. And then Jesus has kind of this funny response. He says, woman, that's not our problem, you know, which sounds really harsh. I mean, you, you just think about that. And, and let me just tell you, it wasn't a harsh statement. Really, Jesus' response to her saying, woman, so just, just believe me. I'm like a pastor guy, study scripture. It's not a harsh response. Now, I've said it's not a harsh response. Gentlemen, this does not give you permission to go home. And the next time your wife asks you, you know, hey, can you help me with this? Woman, what is that to me? I, well, you can try it. I just don't think it'll work out. And part of the reason that we know that this Jesus really isn't responding harshly to his mother is at the very end of John's gospel, you see this tender moment between him and his mom and, and the, uh, John, the disciple, where he looks down and says, woman, this is your son. So there, there's this picture where he would use this language in a much more loving term. So this isn't necessarily a, like we would use, you know, kind of a woman, what's that to me? Leave me alone. But rather, he's, as he responds kind of in kind and whatever way that seems familiar to him and his wife, Part of what he is doing is saying, look, I understand the cultural responsibility that you feel to this wedding and to the wine running out. And I feel that even the family, you know, the family responsibility to what's going on here, like I'm aware of that, but let me just tell you that what God is doing, God's kingdom, what I am doing is not beholden to the cultural norms or the family norms. He's saying, it will not be demanded on and controlled. God's kingdom will not be controlled by these things. So part of what Jesus is doing is just going, look, I will act when the Father calls me to act. God's kingdom will come and show up and declare itself when God the Father tells it to show up and declare itself. So part of what he's doing in this kind of interesting response is just going, yeah, but the kingdom of God will not be dictated by these things. And then we see Jesus begins to act. So somewhere in there, God the Father kind of says, and by the way, we're also going to act and show up in this way. And we see at the very end that this is how the first time Jesus kind of reveals who he is to the people. And so he, so he responds. So Jesus takes their six jars there, which again, there would be six jars there only because other families had brought their jars. Typically, a household in the ancient Near East would have one of those washing jars. And it was stone because it was less porous than the clay jar, so it would stay 
more ceremonial religiously clean because it's the religious ceremonial washing jar for the area and they're having a big party so they need more of those because there's going to be lots of people so families would have brought all the six jars together that's why there's six of the jars so he looks at them and these jars hold but what i don't know how good you are at math i'm terrible at it i married a math major so i didn't have to do it but about 150 gallons worth of water coming up so jesus says okay there's six jars mary says to the servants do what he says which are profound words that we just kind of skip over as we read this story as Mary looks at these people, this group of people that are standing by, Jesus kind of has this reaction saying, look, God will act when God is going to act. And he says, well, do what he says. And because this group of people do what Jesus says, the whole party is blessed. The whole party feels the reward. Not, not many of them even knew how this wine came to be or showed up, but because they are obedient, because they hear Mary's words, says do what he says and they follow it because they do what jesus says the whole party is blessed by their obedience i've got three kids i got 10 9 6 11 11 my son who's 11 is sitting there going i'm 11 <laughs> sorry so many of them it's hard to keep track i don't you guys got jared's got four kids tim is five tim many blessings on you that is insane. I'm so glad that God called you to that and not me. I've got three kids. My youngest is six, and she is the least obedient of my children. Uh, she, I don't know what it is. Like, she's, she's cute. She's the youngest. And I think growing up, you know, we just kind of always, like, would look at her and go, you know, you're cute. You can kind of get away. You know, she's the one that would, like, kind of stare at you. And like, you know that she was, she knew she was doing something bad and then she'd kind of like look at you like, I'm gonna do this anyways. Or she'd like have something in her hand, like a piece of chocolate and you know, one of the parents would go, hey, what is that in your hand? And she'd go, Shh, you know, in her mouth, as quick as, like, I'm just gonna eat this and take the consequences. I'm pretty sure it's not gonna be as good as this chocolate in my mouth. Like she, this, is, this is who my youngest has always kind of been. I think we let her get away with it too much or something. And now she uses phrases like, well, I didn't hear you tell me to go do that. Or, no, that's not, that's not what you said. Or she's constantly telling me, your teacher says something else. I mean, she's constantly arguing me down. I've got just this wonderful little lawyer in training, which is awful. It's just, it's awful. Uh, and she's pretty qu quick to just decide what she wants to do and, and, and do it. Now, my other two have had their seasons. Uh, in life where, you know, they try and, you know, kind of push against and figure stuff out. But for the most part, they are fairly responsible children. They, they kind of know the rules and they work hard to follow most of the time and engage with us in a reasonable way. They're fairly responsible. Uh, but oftentimes, because of my daughter's wonderful deciding of what she wants to do and no no desire to be obedient to us sometimes. Um, my older two are often kind of feel the pain of my youngest's disobedience because sometimes we want to go do something as a family or we want to go and we just can't because she is, and it's not that, it's not that we're trying to punish our older two because of our youngest obedience. Like we hate that, but the reality is that sometimes her disobedience just makes it impossible and sometimes we're unable to separate them out and, uh, 
And the youngest's disobedience often results in my younger two just kind of missing out on stuff that potentially we could do as a family. Her disobedience oftentimes will hinder the whole family's experience. It does. It just affects it. And we know that sometimes our disobedience affects others as well. Right? We know that sometimes when we choose to kind of do things our own ways, when we pursue our own selfish wants and desires as opposed to God's preference for our lives, that it causes pain, not only in our hearts, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our relationships, our families. And we see this on the other side too, where we have been on the receiving end of somebody's decisions to pursue their own selfish desires, and it causes pain. We see it in the world. It just does. When we choose to decide for ourselves when we push away God's desires for our life and choose our own way, it, our disobedience often causes pain elsewhere. But here's the other side of it. As we look at the story, we see that our obedience to God also often results in the blessing of others. That when we look at God's preference for our lives and his desires for the way that we can live out in relationship with him and in relationship with others, as we chase that, oftentimes it is not only a blessing for us, but it is also a blessing for those around us. Now, what I'm not saying is that when we choose to follow Jesus and are obedient to him, that it is sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows all day long, and everything works out. Because unfortunately, that's just, it's just not the case. And, and in, in the immediate sense, it does not even always mean comfort and safety. But we know from experience as we have began to follow or, or, or chosen to be obedient in certain areas of our lives that the, it, the blessing oftentimes not only affects us, it goes beyond ourselves. And it'll affect our families and our communities, the people around us. So when we read through this story, we catch those subtle, quick words, profound words by Mary. Do what he says. And as they do, that whole party was blessed because they followed Jesus. All right, back to the story. So Jesus, these servants take the water. They fill up these jars with water. We don't know how long that took. They fill up the jars with water. Jesus says, take a scoop of that water, give it to the master of ceremonies. He gives it to the master of ceremonies, and this guy's just jazzed. Not only is there now wine, but he takes it to the bridegroom and proclaims. I mean, he's excited because not only is there a lot of wine now at this party, you know, overcoming potential total disaster for this family and for this party and that this, what he is a part of, but he tastes the wine, and it is good wine. And he's like, this is the best wine. Typically, we wait till people are a little, you know, had a little wine before we bring out, you know. But you brought out the best wine even now. And he's just jazzed at this. And this is the picture we get because this is what Jesus is doing. This is the picture that Jesus is revealing about who he is and what he's going to do in the world. God is doing a new thing. This is the picture that Jesus is painting as he reveals who he is only really kind of to a small group of people that actually catch this story. There's a, you know, the, the servants know it and the disciples are kind of aware of what's going on, but Jesus is revealing who he is and everybody that sees it believes. So Jesus takes this water, what is ordinary and takes it and transforms it into something that is spectacular and something that is new. He transforms it. It is a miraculous sign as John says. And there are seven miracles in the, this is 10. There are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. 
and, and John calls them signs because each one of these miracles is pointing to something else because he's saying this is a picture of who Jesus is and what he is doing. Each one of these miracles points to something else. And here we see that Jesus pointing, changing water into wine is this picture of saying Jesus is transforming what is ordinary and making it miraculous. It's this picture, what he says to Nathaniel in the previous chapter when Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, you believe in me because I told you you were sitting under a tree and I saw you there. But I tell you, Nathaniel, you're going to see so much more. You're going to see the line between heaven and earth blurred. You're going to see God's work show up right in between you. There will be a thin space between God's world, his kingdom, where his will is done and celebrated, and the world that you know. I, you're going to see God transform ordinary things into marvelous, spectacular, delicious things. So this is the picture. This is the first sign that God says. As he's saying, this is the kingdom that Jesus is bringing about taking what is ordinary and transforming it into extraordinary. Over and over, we get this picture in the Gospels of God's kingdom being this banquet feast that we are invited into, to be into relationship with the all-powerful creator God anew, that our previous walking away with him would be undone in Jesus' death and resurrection, and that he would invite us to his table and that we would celebrate with him, and he would transform things that are just there into wonderful and spectacular and marvelous things, taking what is ordinary and turning it into wine. This is this picture that we get over and over in the scriptures, and this is the picture that we see in John's gospel, right as he kind of gets going, saying this is who Jesus is. As you consider who Jesus we've already been told who Jesus is, really in the first chapter, and then he begins to tell stories that reveal who Jesus is, as it is this getting to know who Jesus is, and what he's going to be about. And then there's these miracles that are these signs of what Jesus is about. So what? Here's what I believe, that some of us in here, some of us in here, are content to kind of show up and be religious, are content to sort of sign up for a religious sort of repetition where we kind of show up and check boxes. We're at church, check. Bible study, check. Maybe we pray, check. We don't swear, check, which is all good. And maybe we're sort of reasonable and comfortable, but as we look at this story, Jesus takes the ceremonial washing jug and he transforms, and just filled with water, which is good, and he transforms it into this spectacular wine. And we get this picture where Jesus is saying, yes, but I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. And we, it's this invitation to see God anew. What his relationship will do in the lives of people. He has so much for his followers. And there's a lot where he is saying to this group of Jewish followers that, yes, I am, uh, no longer will your relationship with God be mediated through a temple or a priest. I am the new temple, Jesus says, and I will be the high priest. And we'll see that actually in the next couple stories as you guys read in your journals. Some of that is explicitly stated of who Jesus is and what he is doing. But Jesus is saying, no longer is that the way that you'll interact. You'll now have a personal relationship with me. And he's inviting us into this relationship and inviting us into this place where he will transform what is ordinary in our lives and bring spectacular things into our lives. That it won't just be about kind of a religion, regular box-checking motion, but it'll be this rich relationship with who Jesus is 
and there's just so much more to it. And he's just giving this picture. I am doing a new thing, and it's spectacular. I'm taking what's good, and I'm making it even more spectacular. This is who Jesus is. And maybe some of us in here, you know, this is all new to us as we consider it. And we're like, yeah, okay, I'm not even sure about who this Jesus is. Really, you know, I'm in here because I want my kids to get some good grounding. Or I was drugged here by a spouse. Or, or maybe you're just in here checking stuff out because you're like, I, you know, I, I get the sense, especially in this room, like I get the sense something's going on in this group of people. And, I, and I'm curious and I want to know. So maybe the invitation for us this morning, for you this morning, is just to continue to come back. Continue to read through the gospel in John and just face into this question of who Jesus is over and over. And so as we look at the story, the invitation is just going, okay, they keep saying who Jesus is, but now I see the story of who this Jesus is and what he's doing. And for us, maybe this morning is just to continue to see it. And as we look at the story, we are reminded of who God is, that he is one that wants to restore. As he totally redeems this potential disaster for this family and restores them frees them from the shame and restores them, that he is a God that wants to do that kind of work in us, that he wants to do spectacular things, that he's a God that wants to restore relationships, maybe relationships we've given up on, that he wants to breathe new life into marriages, maybe marriages that are starting to feel a little rote, and maybe that we're just sort of facing into it, and God says, I have so much more for you as you enter into a relationship with me. This is a picture of what God is talking about. And I'm not talking about a sort of empty philosophy akin to an eat, pray, love, which is really a kind of me-focused adventure philosophy. But this is an invitation into the creator, a relationship with the creator of God who wants to transform and make spectacular, ordinary things in our life. He wants to take not just our relationship, but our own personal hurts and places of shame and guilt and transform them and heal and bring something beautiful out of them. That's what this Jesus is revealing, even just in this party. That's who he's saying he is. And we see over and over again as we look at this picture that we have to wrestle with as we read each of these stories, who is this Jesus? And what is he up to? And we see in this Jesus taking this potential shame of a family and restoring it. And just taking this, what it was, even this, you know, kind of ordinary thing and an old system of cleansing and washing and transforming it into the spectacular wine. The invitation this morning is to see who God is and experience his grace, his generous grace, his overflowing grace in our lives. And maybe even consider what that might mean for us on a daily basis as we invite him in to transform our lives. We're going to, I want to pray for us as we wrap out. And we're going to sing another song. But before I pray for us and before we continue to sing and worship and let kind of the, uh, God's words sink in, I've got just three maybe questions to consider for us this morning. Uh, because some of us in here have just settled for water. Where things are good and maybe so this invitation this morning is to consider what, God, what might you want to bring anew in my life? What might you want to make spectacularly new as I pursue a relationship with you? Or maybe there's some of us in here that even as I'm talking, we're just considering there's some places where we're maybe not so obedient and we're just going, 
And there's this sense of we know kind of what God wants us to do, but we haven't quite decided to do it. And God's saying, please come into this. I want to show you something. Would you just hear Mary's words? Do what he says. And so maybe some, for some of us, the invitation this morning is just to consider an area where saying, God, I want to turn this back to you. I do want to be obedient. I want to, and I want to see what you are part of. Where do I need to be obedient, maybe? And then... For some of us, there's just this invitation to consider, God, how can I spend more time with you? Because some of us have been in here, and maybe, maybe we're in a season where it just feels like, I don't really know this guy, Jesus. You know, maybe he's kind of at the part. I, I said yes to, you know, I met him. I said yes, whatever that means. Maybe the invitation is to re-pursue a relationship and to ask God, what are you up to? What are you up to in my life? What are you up to in my family's life? What are you up to in the community, God? How can I be a part of that? All right, let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful for who you are. And God, I pray that you would just speak. God, even as we continue to sing, Lord, would your words sink into our hearts this morning? God, we are grateful that you are a generous and loving God that showed up in person to tell us that you love us. God, even when we wanted to walk away from you, you said, no, 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 I want you to be in relationship with me, God. We are grateful for that. And this morning, I would ask God, would you just bless this group of people? Would you speak to them? Would you speak to this church? God, would you fill their lives with new wine? God, would you take this church and would you make it a spectacular example of who you are in this community that as it would go out into their families and into the surrounding community, that they would be new wine to a world that just is ordinary. God, we know this community needs you and your spectacular transformation. And we know, I know you want to use this group of people. Would you use this group of people this week? God, and we need your voice and your work in our life. And so we ask this morning, God, would you speak to us? And we pray this in your son's powerful name.